Hello, Superhero FX fans. As many of you know, Jacob is no longer serving as co-host. He's still going to be a supporter and friend and hopefully an occasional guest of the podcast, but he's had to step back in part because of an exciting opportunity he's had the chance to take, take up. He wasn't able to tell us about that during his last episode because it hadn't yet been publicly announced, but now that it has, he's recorded a special message to let you all know what he's up to. Please make sure to stick around to the end of the episode and check that out. And now, on with the show. Today on the Superhero Ethics Podcast, special guest Steve Peterman is joining me for a discussion of the ethics of Q from Star Trek. We're diving into questions like, what is his motivation? Is he trying to test humanity or just help them? Is, does he actually have any real motivation or just whatever the heck comes to his mind? And why is he so fascinated with Janeway? All of this right after an ad that we have no control over. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Matthew. I'm your host. And as, as I mentioned, joining me today is our guest, Steve Peterman. Steve was a guest earlier on, uh, I think, Steve, you've been on two episodes, right? One about nope, uh, Sanderson? just the one. Okay, that's right. Um, yep. Steve was a guest on our Anderson uh, on our episode about the Brandon Sanderson books. Um, uh, Steve, how are we doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm really glad we decided to do this topic because it meant I got to go back and watch some episodes of Star Trek that I have not seen in a long time. Um, yeah, they're good ones, too. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting, too, because it... it Having seen Picard a lot recently, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit today, um, you know, it, it I knew that Picard was a uh, a big change from the original Star Trek shows, and, and that the newer generation from 20 years ago or 30 years ago now, in terms of how the tone of it. But going back and actually watching those TNG episodes was a a pretty good reminder of like, wow, just how different these were. And he looks so young, especially in the pilot. Yeah, no, that's super true. That's super true. And. And Riker without a beard, of course. <laughs> yeah, that was a little <laughs> painful to watch. I I watched with my partner who was was a big TNG fan as a kid, but like had never actually watched them all in order. She just watched a lot that were on syndication, I think, or uh, actually on whatever her family had on DVD. And for some reason, they didn't have the first season, so she kind of like jumped when she first saw Riker without a beard. We're like, ah, who's that? <laughs> so that was <laughs> that was funny. Um. Well, so let, talk to talk to me a little bit about uh, yourself and just this topic in general. So you, you've been a big Star Trek fan for a while. Uh, not so much Star Trek. I was a Star Wars kid growing up, actually. Nice. Okay. Um, and I got bored one, I guess, month or so when I was sitting at home, uh, and decided I was going to actually sit down and watch Star Trek. So I watched it through from the beginning of TOS through the end of Voyager. Nice. And Enterprise. <laughs> um. I watched like four episodes of Deep Space Nine and just couldn't handle it. Don't at me. Okay, no, that's cool. That's cool. It, it is. It's so many people's favorite. I'm curious for you. What What about it didn't work? I don't know. Okay. I just watched like four or five episodes. Couldn't handle it. That's legit. Didn't it? Didn't really click with me. I I admit it was not my favorite until like a couple of se- seasons in. And honestly, most of the reason why I watched it is I was so sick of my friends making constant references to it that I didn't understand. <laughs> that I just like and fair enough. If that had been in the day where we really had like memory alpha and stuff like that that were a lot more accessible, I probably would have just read it all that way. Um, but but yeah. So um, what makes you interested in Q the character? Like what uh, what are kind of your overall thoughts there? And why do you think he's a one worth exploring? Uh, so when I was in college, I actually took a class about uh, trickster gods. Oh, uh, nice whether they're from you know comic books like loki or uh actual norse mythology loki or from the 
Epic of Gilgamesh or what what have you. Uh-huh. Um, and it's actually one of the only classes in college I got an A in. It was a writing class. Nice. I was not a writing person. <laughs> <laughs> I was a math and science person. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I got an A in it, and it really just clicked with me. Uh, so the idea of a trickster god in a science fiction setting is really fascinating to me. I love science fiction. Yeah. Whether it's books or movies. Actually, I like fantasy and, and science fiction both. Uh-huh. I kind of lump them together because they're kind of the same thing, but not really. It, it's funny. I'd never thought of the, the trickster god concept until you mentioned it, but now it, it seems pretty fitting. But just for those of us who maybe haven't really studied it, um, can you say a bit more about what exactly that the trickster god concept is and then how, how kind of Q fits into that? Uh, I, what really epitomizes the trickster god concept is in one of the Thor movies, uh, Thor is telling a story about how he picked up a snake and then the snake turned into his brother and stabbed him and was like, ha ha, gotcha. Um, which, that really shows that the trickster god is just trying to do pranks for the sake of pranks because they're right. new experiences. Right. Now, my understanding, again, my, I probably not studied as much as you, but um, and I think this is kind of a relevant question when we get to Q. Am I right that sometimes, not always, but that sometimes the prank is intended to teach something, whether it's to kind of like that often it's to kind of poke a hole in hubris or arrogance or to oh, help someone realize. Yeah. Uh, it's absolutely uh, has a, a purpose that isn't not necessarily just haha gotcha. It's haha. Look how ridiculous you're being. Right. A lot of times it is reducto ad absurdum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To kind of take that idea and say, okay, what well, if we stretch this to the absolute extreme, just how silly are you going to be? Um, right. Like to me, the, the, the emperor has new clothes. Uh, ha- the emperor's new clothes is kind of a, a, a trickster God story. Not, not, not that there's a trickster God involved there, but just that idea of like pointing out the truth that no one else wants to see, but doing it in, in, in story form or, or by, 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 by playing with people and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's actually kind of a good way to, to introduce our, our – one of the biggest questions that, I, that I'm really interested in is where does Q fall on that in, in terms of his interactions with our, fr- the, with our casts? Um, and I'll say on this episode, we, we chose a specific number of episodes to watch just because we you know, don't have all the time in the world we'd want. Um, so we're focusing on mostly things from TNG with one episode from uh, Voyager. Um, but we'll probably be bringing up stuff from Q, um, as well as actually a, a Q-like figure from the original series. Um, and I will say, uh, if you have not watched Star Trek before, we're probably going to spoil all of that. So just, you know, uh, if you are you don't want to watch Star Trek, that's fine. But if you're halfway through a rewatch of it or something like that, and you don't want to be spoiled, maybe hit pause now. Um, but back to Q, I, for me, one of the most interesting questions is, where does he fall on that kind of trickster god idea of... Does he have lessons he's trying to, to, to show the the crew or has he just kind of screwed around because he's an immortal being who's bored? And as 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 Quinn gets into in, in that Voyager episode, maybe kind of lost touch with the idea of uh, not of morality necessarily, but the idea that, you know, he's so bored that he doesn't care if he hurts people while playing because he just wants to find some entertainment. Yeah, I think. There is some of the I'm just bored, so I'm looking for something to do. Uh-huh. But I don't I don't think it's necessarily I'm looking for anything to do. I right. think it's I'm looking for some people that might need a lesson or might need 
some guidance and I'm not just going to tell them how to solve the problem. I'm going to lead them to how to solve the problem. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. The, the, the TNG pilot where is where we're really introduced to Q as a character. And he, he just shows up, stops the ship out of nowhere. They're on their way to Farpoint station to pick up their first officer. Uh, So Riker's not even on the ship yet. Um, And he just stops them sort of kidnaps a bunch of the, the crew off the bridge and is like, Hey, humanity is a kind of a screwed up race. Um, he actually calls them a savage barbaric child race. Yeah. Uh, and shows up in a bunch of varying costumes from, let's see, what's the first one? The first one is kind of a, it's a Sir Francis Drake, like a medieval. Cause he, he oh, says right, he wants yes. to be a, a fellow ship captain. I think the idea is that he's, the difference between the 1500s and the 2300s is so meaningless to him that he doesn't quite know which one to pick at first. Right. So he shows up as a ship captain uh, and then is like, oh, is this not the right uniform? And then he changes into like a World War II captain. Mm-hmm. And then he changes into, uh, I think it's a 22nd century captain. Oh, uh, yeah. 21st century, the 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 time when they're dr- using uh, guards, uh, military was being drugged in the oh, yeah. evil trial times. Um, and then eventually he just kids kidnaps them to a, a courtroom with a bunch of heckling peasants. Uh huh. <laughs> well, and I think that's where the one of the first questions begins is because at the beginning of those Farpoint episodes, um, it's presented as humanity is going to be on trial primarily for their morality. You know, as you said, are they still a savage, barbaric race, and are they, you know, are they so much of a danger? because of their terribleness that they should go back and not, not be allowed to become even more powerful in space. Um, over the course of the episode that shifts somewhat and it becomes more a test of, uh, their intelligence and their ability to problem solve and figure things out. Right. And, and here's always the, the problem that I have with things like this is because on the one hand, I, I, I think I can look at these episodes, especially what we know later and kind of say that on some level, this was never a test. This was never a trial. That I don't think Q was ever really thinking that he was going to tell humanity to stop. It was more that he was using that that means to to push humanity to to try and you know to see can you really do as well as you can and and can you you know uh, especially because so 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 many times later he talks about the incredible potential of humanity and that he wants them to to reach that. Um, and and so I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, am I seeing that the writers did something really subtle here? Or is this just not maybe – is this a case maybe of not the most consistent writing and that they kind of started with him with one motivation and, and shifted toward the other, both by the end of these episodes and, and even more so as the show goes on? Oh, I think it's definitely the, the second thing where they started with one thing and then they were like, wait, this is exactly the same character we had in that one episode from TOS and they uh-huh. had to change it a little bit. Yeah. Um, T- tell us. Oh, go ahead. So in the, the TOS episode, uh, there's a character named Trelane. Uh, basically, the the Enterprise shows up at this planet. Uh, their uh, officers are all kidnapped off the bridge. Uh, very transportery style. Um, and then they all wake up on this planet. And there's this guy dressed up uh, in very 16th century garb. Uh-huh. And, and he's like, hi, I'm General Trelane, retired. 
And then he does a whole lot of trickster gaudy things. Like mm. uh, there's sourceless light. There, there's a fire that's not giving off heat. And, and all these things kind of clue the, the crew into noticing that maybe things aren't a hundred percent what they seem to be. And then right. um, some officers die and some officers like there's a red shirt that dies. Spoilers. Uh, that happens. Yeah. Uh, and then at the very, very end of the episode, uh, Trelane's parents show up and they're like, Hey, time for dinner. Put your toys away. Yeah. Uh, and then they're, they actually apologize to Kirk and bring his crew back to life and transport him back to his ship. Um, and they go on their way. So it's a very Q like child person. Um, mm. who, yeah. who's just playing with his toys with no thought to the consequences. And that's very much the character that, that Gene Roddenberry imagined Q to be. Um, and then presented this episode and then his producers were like, no, nah, maybe tweak it a little bit. <laughs> is that your guess or do you actually have you, have you read stuff about the behind the scenes process? Uh, I've read a little bit, not enough to okay. actually cite, uh, uh-huh. but so it's mostly a guess. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, that's all we have for most of this, but I, but I, th- I think that, <laughs> that, that, that that's a pretty reasonable theory. Um, it also brings up what I think is one of the most interesting parts about Q is that he does seem in a lot of ways, he reminds me of a Faye um, in terms of like the, 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 that often they're presented as both incredibly powerful, but very childlike um, and, and having kind of a lot of whims and pleasures while also having some overall plan. Um, the other thing that makes me think of Q as childlike is that he does often like people will say something just in passing and he will take it as, aha, you just made a contract. You know, um, the, the example that most stood out to me is, the, the whole idea of the trial starts because, um, you know, Picard, you know, in anger and just kind of saying how ridiculous this is, says, you know, like, are you trying to put us on trial? Um, and, and, and Picard clearly says this as an accusation, but Q takes that as, oh, okay, you just offer to go on trial. Fine. I accept your offer. I think literally he says those words, accept your offer. Um, and, and I really love that because it, 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 it gets to me, I think, that um, – I think that's part of the trickster god motif off also is kind of taking people at their word, even though it's not quite what they meant. Right. But but certainly it seems very much in that fey idea of, you know, you have to you have to speak very carefully because they will take your words very literally, even when that's not what you meant. Mm hmm. Uh, and then at the to book, we actually bookend TNG with Q episodes, which is great. Uh, right. The, the series finale of Next Generation is also a two part Q episode. Um and we actually go back to that courtroom and it bookends TNG very nicely. Um, but in that one, Q says, I will answer 10 questions that can be answered with a yes or a no. And then Picard goes down this series of questions. And one of them is why? And Q's like, aha, not a yes or no question. You forfeit the rest of your questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much like I'm going to hold you to the rules, but also get to change the rules as we go. Oh, absolutely. Um, He changes the rules all the time. He even says it'll be a fair trial. LOL. Yeah. Well, let's use that trial motif for a minute, a minute because you're right. It is very much the framing device of the entire show because it's at, and I, I think actually the more I look at that, and I, I don't think they intended this in the first episode necessarily, but I, I think it makes the last episodes kind of brilliant. Is it? It basically winds up being, um, you know, the first episode. Picard is saying like, "Let me on on our journeys prove to you that we are not the things that you think we are." Um. 
And then at the last, he's kind of saying, okay, well, let's look back over the seven years. What have you learned? What have you accomplished? What has changed? Um, Except that it does it the correct way and not the way that, like, Stargate does it with a clip show. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, though I, I – people, listeners of this podcast know I generally have problems with time travel, and I do with this once again. Um, but but just, just going on that trial idea, I, I mean, my first question is, do you think this idea of, like – of seeing humanity the way Q claims to and and judging us for it, for being a childlike, barbaric, savage race. Uh, um, is there some validity there? Is this just him having fun? Does he have a point there? I mean, human history is full of savage, barbaric, childish things that people have done, individual mm-hmm. people, groups of people, um, and Star Trek lore even more so because they have the eugenics war. Right. Uh, so... Yeah, there is some truth to humanity being a savage, barbaric child race. But there's also truth to what Picard says about, you know, hey, that's not all we are. Yeah. He he at one point makes a comment about um, – I'm not actually not, not thinking of it. I think this is just something that I, I was thinking of as I was watching it is my question for all of these always is by what standard? You know, like – he says grievously savage. So what do we know of other races that they are more or less savage? Um, and I, I, I like this concept because I, I, I like the idea of sort of seeing humanity against these other things. But for us, of course, it's impossible because we don't have any other standards to look at. We have no idea what another race of sentient beings, how grievously savage they would or would not be. Well, the other examples we have are the Klingons, pretty, yep. pretty grievously savage. The Romulans, yep. not quite as bad as the Klingons, but still pretty bad. Mm-hmm. The Ferengi, which they have their own moral Capitalism code. Is a different kind of grievously savage. Yeah. It's still pretty awful, yeah. Uh, and then the Vulcans, which I guess are on the other side. So of the, the five races that we have a good picture of, humans are in the top two. Yeah. Well, and that's why I, I do think to some extent that, and again, I, I'm I'm head, I'm sort of saying, like, what can we understand about the character, even if this wasn't necessarily what the writers intended? Because... I think when you look at Q overall, that and especially in that last episode, at the 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 last trial episode at the end of the seven series seven seasons, um, he shifts it and he makes it much more about. Uh, and I think he actually says a couple things about you know, we we the Q know that humanity has this incredible potential, and we actually know that you know you might even surpass us one day, and so this is about you know kind of making. Sh- both making sure you're worthy of it as well as making sure that you are um uh that that you can you can reach that and so it if you think about it, if you understand that that's where Q winds up it makes me wonder if in these in this first trial it's not as much the you know i think that you really are the most terrible thing as much as it's the i think you actually have amazing potential and I think the motivational habits of a Marine drill sergeant will work. So I'm going to tell you what a pathetic, stupid person you are to try and make you do better, um, which I think is generally proven to be a pretty awful motivational tactic. But for a childlike, all-powerful being, could could maybe make some sense. Um, am I headcanning too hard there? Uh, I won't tell your kinda... drill sergeant you said that about him. Well, OK, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you actually know him. And in, in the judging program, you know both of my drill sergeants. Oh. So I appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, what do you, what do you, am I kind of – does that does that does that fit, or do you think that's kind of stretching too much? Uh, no, I think that makes sense. Um, I, I think that a lot happens to Q in those seven seasons of TNG, and he he mm-hmm. gets reprimanded by the continuum. He makes up with the continuum. 
Um, so I think the motivations of the Q continuum might have changed as well. Um, yeah, but it definitely wasn't their intention going into seven seasons of the next generation to have Q be this growth character. I think they had him come oh, yeah. into uh, to the beginning uh, as kind of a he's going to be the baddie of the week. Mm-hmm. And then John Delancey was like, no, this guy's great. I want to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's funny. Um, there's two things to say there. One is that, as I mentioned, my partner had not seen much of uh, these later, uh, these early season Q. Um, she mostly had seen in the later seasons and especially on other shows where he becomes much more a figure of whimsy and ridiculousness. And, and like in this first season, he's very sinister in a way. He's very, I mean, he's ridiculous and funny, but he's also terrifying in a way that I think gets lost by later seasons. Um, and, and she was saying like that she loved Q because she thinks he's kind of like fun and ridiculous and that this the Q of the first seasons was so different. Um, the, the other thing that that brings up for me is, and I think it's important to remember, I at least have now gotten so used to the idea that, you know, when a show goes goes on, especially a science fiction show, generally when they're they're writing the first episode – they already have a pretty good sense of the plot arc of, if not the first season, of at least the first season, if not the whole story arc. Um, and so I think it's it's tempting to go back and, and apply that same kind of idea to these older shows. But I think you're right. It's a good reminder that when this was much more episodic television, the writers had no idea what they were doing. They were saying, let's write an episode now, and then maybe later we'll do something with the characters. But yeah, I think that the, the, the idea that they were... Um, uh, planning what they were going to do with Q in season seven and season one, like that just, th- th- that wasn't part of a tele- television back then. Right. If you go back to old, old television, like Doctor Who or uh, early Battlestar Galactic, you might get four episode arcs, two, three episode arcs, but you, you wouldn't get continuity between that and the next three episode arc. Right. Um, and they made them all to stand alone because if you missed an episode on TV, you missed it. It was gone. Yeah. And I think that's true about continuity as well, because, you know, for most fans, when you didn't have the Internet, to you didn't have memory alpha and you didn't have the ability to go back and watch any old episode, you know, if a character appeared and he'd appeared two years ago, well, now you're trying to remember from two years ago, is this character consistent to that? Um, and and Star Trek comes about, I, I think, kind of just at that Actually, this is something I haven't thought about much, but I'm wondering if this has been written about. TNG is written right at the time where that's changing. It starts in, I believe, 1989. And at least I remember the web first really becoming a thing when I was in high school, which was 91 to 95. So over the course of this show being written, the ability to track those things really changes. Um, And so it's kind of a different question, but I wonder if that's something that kind of um, changed the writing a little bit when, when that became much more possible. I don't um, think it was so much the internet as, you know, VHS was a thing. Oh, yeah, that's also true. You could go out to Walmart or whatever 1989 grocery, uh, shopping stores look like, probably Target, etc., Kmart. You could go out and buy VHSs of Star Trek. Yeah, that's true. Would you? Yeah, and, and, and also Star Trek, I mean, I think even the original the original series – there were probably fans who were writing stuff down and were just dedicated fans that there was probably a lot more memory of, you know, 
there were a lot more fans who would remember what had happened, you know, last season for the original series of Star Trek than most other TV shows. Um, but so, yeah, it's still such a technological difference. Um, one of the things that I we, we talked a bit about earlier, the humanity being the grievously savage child race. And then by the end, he's saying that humanity has all of this incredible potential and that he loves humanity because they're so unique. Um, and you read a lot more science fiction than I do. But just going on what I – the little I've read and, and the science fiction television and movies I've seen, it seems that there's a real trend of it, – it's hard for people to imagine that humanity would just be one more race that's interesting but kind of, you know, middle of the pack. A, a, am I right in thinking that this, that this is pretty – this is a trend in a lot of science fiction of um, humanity has to either be like, you know, one of the worst or one of the best? Well, I think that's just hubris. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, why, why write about yourself as just, just mediocre and not totally noticeable? Right. Uh, it, it should be, we're the best. We're the best at everything. Because, of course, we're the best. Why wouldn't we be the, be right. the best? Um, Star Trek actually is on that spectrum. Uh, but it's not, humans weren't the first into space. Right. When they did the first hyperspace test they drew the attention of the Vulcans and the Vulcans kind of shepherded humanity into the space age. Um, And when they got there, they ran into the Klingons who were already there and the Romulans who were already there and the Ferengi who were already there. And basically everyone else we've already talked about who was already in space. And their, their whole thing is we're going to explore the galaxy and see who else is here. Which is always an interesting conceit to me because there's often this idea of we're exploring all of these like, you know, unknown, not foreseen things when you're sort of wondering, like, couldn't the Vulcans just sell them a map and like tell them like, you know, and I think this gets better over the show's go. Um, but certainly I think it's that hubris idea sometimes of like, if we haven't been there, then it's unexplored, um, which is an interesting thing of, of, of where Star Trek goes. Um, let's, let's, let's shift to, um, I'm sure we're going to keep talking about Q himself, but I want to shift more to the, the, the powers of Q and what that does to someone, because we watched a number of uh, first season episodes, which I will say are great for Q also a little painful because the first season had some real problems. Um, Wow. Denise Crosby cannot act. She really cannot. (laughs) Oh, in that first thing, encounter to four point, far point. Wow. Um, but great person, I'm sure. No, not meaning to disparage the person, but please no tweeting terrible things at her. That's shit, being a shitty fan. But yeah, um, but what what? There, there's one episode early in. Um, I had it written down. Uh, oh, it's called Hide and Q, where um, Q actually gives William Riker the power to become a Q. Um, and and here again is one where. I I am really confused by Q's motivations, and I think it's just a little bit of bad writing because on the one hand, he seems to be trying to say, like, it would be a failure of humanity for Riker to want to accept these powers, but he also very clearly wants Riker to accept the powers to be part of the the Q continuum. Um, Is that just bad writing, or do you think there is something there that, that, or is that kind of part of being the trickster god of trying to fight someone against getting to the point that you want them to get to. Uh, So Q as a character is all about testing specifically the bridge crew of the enterprise. Um, And I feel like, and then later, and later Voyager. And I guess there's a 
Deep Space Nine episode that I obviously haven't seen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it would not surprise me if this was just a test of Riker, that he didn't actually give Riker the power to be a Q. He just jumped into Riker's mind and was like, oh, you're trying to make this happen? Haha, I made it happen. Now you think it was you. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Now, that's nowhere written down. Memory Alpha has probably not got it. Uh, it's it's a fan uh-huh. theory uh, that I I may have seen somewhere or come up with. I don't know. It's been a long uh-huh. time. You're I'm a fan. fan. Uh, could be. It's a there, theory. fan, it's a theory. fan theory. Got it. <laughs> uh, but it would not have surprised me if that was Q testing Riker as a subset of, of one of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could. So, do you think what 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 is the result he wants then? Like, do you think is, is in his mind there ever a chance that that Riker is going to become part of the Q, or is that all just a facade? Because he wants to see if Riker will survive temptation. I don't think that Riker was ever in danger of becoming a Q. I think this was all about temptation. Interesting. Interesting. So that at the end, like, because Q at least appears to be disappointed that Riker didn't do the right thing. And that, you know, he that he's kind of lost his bet with Picard. Um, it seems though that that would be very trickster God to sort of be like, oh, nope, you got me again. And then kind of walk off going, good, they learned the lesson I wanted them to. And they just... They don't understand my role in it. How um, many times has Loki died to prove a point? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good one. And, and that's an interesting one because actually, and here's a question, is is in in the trickster god mythology, and maybe this changes between different trickster gods, are the people supposed to real are the people supposed to walk away going, Wow, that that trickster is such an idiot. I can't believe he did that having learned a lesson and no idea the trickster taught it? Are they supposed to walk away going, up? Oh, nope. You know what? Loki helped us realize something we, we didn't we didn't realize. That damn trickster, but he's he's better in some ways. Uh, it's very much, I learned a lesson, but that trickster guy's an idiot. Yeah. Interesting, because you never see the, the truth behind it. Okay. Um, um, the, the trickster mythologies are always written with a, a moral to the story. Um, as most mythology is, uh, uh-huh. so it's always written with the moral of the story, and it's almost always the moral comes from the trickster god, but the trickster is often the butt of the joke or something like that, and they're never actually yeah. the hero of the story unless you really, really think about it. Okay, well, by that definition, then I think. You know, and again, I don't know if this is headcanon or much better writing than it might appear, but then that makes Q, especially in this episode, Hide and Q, makes so much more sense. Because, like I said, there felt there felt to be a really weird tension between him both wanting Riker to join the Q, but also wanting Riker to resist the temptation. Um, so I, I really like that perspective of, um, you know, that, that the whole time he's actually trying to say, like, no, you know, I, I want to see if Riker can avoid this temptation. Um and now, and so here's here's the other question: Is does Riker avoid the test? How does Riker do on the test? Do you think? I think Riker gets a C minus on the test. Yeah, he he passes, but barely. Right. Well, yeah, because in some ways, and it it almost makes me think it's it's not even just it, it is a test, but like you said, it's a lesson because it's the you know um, I think it's an Italian proverb that says. Um, when the gods want to punish us, they they grant our wishes. 
Um, it, it would seem very trickster to sort of be like, oh, okay, you wish you had ultimate power. Let me give it to you and see actually just how terrible that would be. Um, and I love that the way that they teach it is, and the way that he sort of finds the lesson is, um, by trying to help all of his shipmates. Um, because I know, I mean, I've seen this in friends of mine where, you know, after college, uh, you know, a lot of us were not doing terribly well economically. And one friend, uh, went into the dot com, you know, I, I got out of college in 1999, the first dot com boom. One friend of ours did incredibly well. Um, and he was someone who was always sort of part of our friend group, but not necessarily like the closest with us. Um, and started trying pretty hard to like, you know, just use his money to buy closer friendship and to, or not even to buy closer friendship, but to just, you know, give us things that he thought we wanted all the time. Um, and eventually a couple of our friends had to be like, you need to stop this a little bit because it's making us really uncomfortable. And some of this is stuff we want to figure out on ourselves. Um, and so I love that that's how the lesson, that that's how Will is taught that lesson because it feels like there's so many ways that like Will could have used the power and become maybe kind of really corrupt or starting to be evil. But the fact is, like his intentions never really change. He has the best of intentions. He wants to help everyone, but he gets so blinded by his power that he doesn't realize that he's not, that he's actually doing a lot more harm. Right. Uh, we're going to link to all these episodes down in the comments. Uh, but he, uh, what, what Matthew's saying here is he, he uses his powers. He gathers, gathers the bridge crew together and. Oh yeah. Thank you. Those yeah. Are he gathers the bridge crew together and is like, Wesley, the thing you want the most here, you're 10 years older. You're an adult now. And, and Wesley ultimately is like, I don't want this. I want to earn it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he, he winds up, um, giving two beautiful women to Riker. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to like, he, he offers to make data human. Um, and data actually refuses, uh, or he, he actually even says before you say it, he says, you know, like, um, I think you're going to offer to make me human. And I don't want that because I don't, I want the journey. Um, Unintentional yeah, Sanderson, he, life before death, journey before destination. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I think he, he gives Jordy his eyes back. Uh, yeah. He gives Jordy his eyes yeah. back. He gives, uh, he makes Wesley 10 years older or something like that. Uh, uh-huh. He make, he gives uh, a Klingon woman to Worf. I think you hit everything. Right. I, yeah. And he, then everyone, everyone just rejects it. And then Riker's like, maybe I shouldn't be helping people. Yeah. And, and I think there's sort of an interesting dual lesson there because there's also a lesson for, for a lot of the crew members where, um, you know, in like, I think Wes at first, definitely, you know, he, he's the one who at first loves the gift, but then only when he starts to think about it, realizes it's a problem. Um, and so I think there's also a nice kind of reminder there for not just for Riker, but for the crew of why, like what, the Sanders reference, like you said, Sanderson reference, like you said, that the um, the destination is more important. The, the journey is more important than the destination. I just had a thought and I'm going to follow it out here. I haven't thought it all the way through. We'll see what happens. You might have to cut this part. Go for it. <laughs> so everyone tells Riker, no, I don't want this. I want to actually earn it. Is that a metaphor for the Q continuum because the Q continuum could just solve all the enterprises problems, huh. but instead they make the enterprise work for it. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I could definitely see that. Um, and I mean, I might even go a step further and say, 
is is Q testing Riker and trying to get Riker to learn the thing that the Q already know? Or is the Q using Riker to figure out what they should do? You know, like it would be an interesting way to be like, hmm, we're kind of wondering what would happen if we just give humanity all the things that they, they want, that we have the power to give. Well, we certainly don't want to embarrass ourselves by doing something that, that actually is stupid. So let's put Riker in a position where he's going to do it and watch and, and maybe learn something from it. Um, I, I think I'm now pretty deep into headcanon fan theory land. Um, oh, yeah. But, but it's, you know, it, it's a it's part of why I love the character of Q, honestly, is because he's he's written in such an open way. And you know, it was funny actually watching these episodes. I was reminded in with until we get later into the show, the Q episodes, Q's maybe on screen for 15 to 20 percent of the episode. Like most of it is just him as a, a framing device at the start, the beginning, and, and and in the middle a little bit, um, and and I think it, I think part of why we can have so much fun with this is that Q is a great example of a character where they just create all of these threads for people to pull on, and they never really resolve any of them. Which, yeah, which sometimes is very frustrating to me as a fan, but somehow for Q it really works. I agree, um, and for reference. Picard is only on screen for like 15 to 20% of an episode as well. So the episodes of Q's in being in 20% of the shots is huge. Mm, okay. That's a good thought. I don't, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. I guess because so much of the away missions, Picard's never on. And Picard's the, the main character. He's well, not the title character. Even in Star Trek Picard, he's only on screen for maybe 25% of the time. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I mean, they're an interesting mix of – they're ensemble shows, but I, I feel like he's the primary protagonist, you know, that, and especially that both the first and the last episodes of the whole show revolve around him particularly being tested is kind of a nice nice demonstration of that. But you're right. He's not on that often. Um, just kind of think that, uh, one of the things that I noticed with the, the hide and Q, Q seems a lot cr- crueler this time. Um you know that 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 I'm trying to remember the details. I just I just wrote that as a note, but it, it feels like he's a lot more willing to let people suffer to prove his points than he was in in the original. Um, and again, I don't know if that's supposed well, to be his. I mean, in the original, he freezes a guy. So, well, he freezes him, but but it's pretty clear that that person is not going to be uh, that that person is not going to be you know permanently harmed. Um, whereas I think he, um. Yeah, because doesn't uh, hmm. it, it, there was so much that happened in that episode. But I remember like the the scenes with Napoleonic combat. I think there's a couple times where he sort of says like, you know, if someone dies, it's not a big deal. Um, but that again, it might be his 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 wordplay or things like that. Um, let let's move on to um, I I think another because uh, we talked a lot about sort of the the Q is the the trial and Q is the all powerful being. Um, and so let's shift to, um, I think one or two of the most fascinating episodes, which is where we actually see Q not as, um, the one who is all powerful and making humanity dance, but we're actually, Q needs something from the humans. And I'm, um, talking about two different characters here, uh, cause the two episodes I'm thinking about are Deja Q, where, um, Q himself becomes human and has to live as a human because he's being punished. And then um, Death Witch, which is in Voyager, where um, a different member of the Q continuum, who was, I think, originally introduced to us uh, 
in the subtitles also as Q, the subtitles list him as Q2, but eventually becomes Quinn is the name he takes. Uh, and he actually wants to die and causes a whole question there. Um, how, how do you think these different uh, episodes differ in terms of what we're seeing about the Q when we shift from the Q making humanity dance to now the Q needing something from humanity? Well, in, uh, in the first one, Q actually does something to anger the continuum. And Matthew, you watched this episode uh, as part of your, your study up for this episode. I did not. Um, what actually does he do to get kicked so, out of the continuum? So enough, it's basically being too much of a trickster. Um, and it, 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 okay. what they basically okay. say is that you have been sowing far too much chaos around the galaxy. Um, and and it, it makes me wonder to some extent, especially now that you've given this trickster, I got, uh, trickster god idea, is the Q continuum trickster gods, or is it that the particular aspect of the Q continuum that we know as Q, the John DeLore character, that he's kind of decided to go off on his own and to be this trickster god, and that eventually the, the rest of the continuum got so sick of it that they're like, no, 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 no we're, we're going to punish you for this. Uh, so is the continuum more of a the pantheon of gods, and the, and Q would be the, the Loki Oh yeah, I like that a lot. I I think that could definitely um uh that could work, for sure. Um, in in the Voyager episode, we actually get to take a look inside the continuum. Uh, they they take Janeway and um Tuvok into the continuum. Yep. And it's basically just an old west saloon. They're just hanging out. There's a pinball machine. Mm-hmm. Um. And they're like, this is as uh, as complicated as we can make it so that you can still see it. But we're all just bored. Yeah. The, no one talks to each other. Um, and and it, it's interesting because I think the, that episode especially gets into a lot of great questions about, you know, immortality and ultimate power. Because the, the conceit of it is that part of why they're not speaking to each other is because there's nothing left to say these same people, these same entities have all existed together for literally since the beginning of time. And now they're bored and now there's nothing to do. And what I think is interesting is that then you see um, between Q and Quinn, two very different reactions to how to do that. Q is I'm bored. I have nothing to do. I want to, you know, start, on the one hand, it's I want to start trying to maybe help some others or test some others. On the other hand, it's kind of like, you know, spoiled rich boy thrill seeking. Um, and on the other hand, you've got Quinn who's just like, I'm done with all this. I I, I hate immortality because there's nothing else to do in life. I would like to just die. Yeah, I have one experience left and it's to die. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, Q, Q1, John DeLancey. Uh, is very much, I'm going to go out and explore the universe. And he gets uh, punished by the continuum in that, that first episode. Um, he gets kicked out of the continuum, actually, for being too much of a uh, an influence on the galaxy. Does that mean the continuum has their own version of the prime, prime directive? That's exactly what I thought as I, as I was watching that episode, as I was wondering, is this a prime directive commentary? Um. Which, which would make sense because it's 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 in some levels. I mean, 
like I kind of wonder if you got a story about some of the much more primitive, but maybe like just barely spacefaring races that uh, the Star Trek crew, you know, comes into contact with, and would they see the Star Trek crew as kind of the equivalent of how we would see the Q? They actually say that in uh, in that Voyager episode, uh, Quinn and Janeway are talking. He's like, "We're not all powerful." Uh, I think he's like, "We're not omnipotent." Oh, it's Q and Tuvok. We're not omnipotent. You and your technology to a, a, any other primitive race would be just as superior to them as we are to you. Yeah, that's a good point. Um. Yeah. I, so it, it could be. It could very much be a prime directive thing. Yeah. Uh, the the Federation has their prime directive so that they don't interfere with primitive cultures and the Q could have their prime directive so they don't interfere with primitive cultures and the Federation's a primitive culture to them. Yeah. I, I think there's some possibility there, though. I But I think an essential part of the prime directive is the idea of we are interested in going out and exploring. We are interested in helping these other races, but we have to have very specific rules of what we can or can't do. Whereas the Q, and again, maybe we're only seeing it from Quinn's perspective, but I, I, I think it is presented to us as though this is an accurate picture. It seems like they don't have any of that. Um, what, what actually came to mind to me in terms of watching um, uh, the Q continuum as well as the character of uh, our, our primary Q, um, have you seen the show Altered Carbon? I have not. Okay. Um, I recently started uh, doing a watch of it over on the Bingers Assemble podcast network, which, quick, quick plug, we're doing an episode a day. Uh, you can go back and listen to some of the old episodes and, and or watch along with us. Uh, great way to, if you're either a first-time fan of the show or uh, love it, uh, to hear some great discussion about the show and the ethical questions there. Uh, it's on the Bingers Assemble podcast, and I will have a, a link in the show notes. But one of the things that it gets into... Uh, Forgive me, I'm about to give some spoil. Actually, let me interrupt. Is it a show you're planning to watch at some point? No. Uh, well, probably because okay. Do you mind sci-fi? Do you mind if I but... give mild overall plot spoilers? No, go for okay. it. Okay. So for anybody who doesn't want to be spoiled on Altered Carbon, probably skip ahead, maybe uh, two minutes or so. Um, so one of the ideas of it is that because of technological advancement, people are able to separate the mind from the body. And so they can keep putting the mind into new bodies. And like in most cultures, the more the richer you are, the more technology you have. And so you have this group of the super rich who are now both basically immortal in many ways. They can be killed in very specific ways, but it's pretty easy to avoid them and have lost most of their connection to the idea that other people don't have that. And so they're. They're basically kind of like, you know, they've lost the sense of the idea that their actions could have consequences. And they're also so bored that they start thrill-seeking, you know, to greater and greater extremes because just they've done everything already. Um, They're presented as pretty awful and depraved, and Q isn't shown as that. But I felt like that, that both shows are making the same point about what happens when you have incredible power without consequences, is that it, it... it it becomes a very easy to kind of let your moral, you know, whatever your moral compass is, but to let that slip somewhat as you start thinking like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be here forever. I'm, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. And I have all this power and, and I'm never going to feel the consequences. So why not? Uh, so one thing that is not quite addressed in that Voyager episode about how bored these Q actually are, uh-huh. uh, 
is that Q have the ability to travel through time. Right. So it's it's not necessarily that they have existed since the beginning of time, but mm. that they have ex- existed for all of time. Right. Well, I, and that that may, may makes the point even more so then, because then it's even more. It's not even like they have a chance to see the future and be be surprised by anything. Um. Yeah. So I think I th- I think then that 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 makes that 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 idea fall even more that that what we're seeing with a Q is a picture of just what can happen when that happens, you know, and and then seeing how John Delory over these seven seasons and over the many seasons, the many different shows keeps changing in his reactions towards humanity. makes a lot of sense there. Um, so in the second uh, episode that we were talking about in this group, uh, we have Quinn uh, who is, I guess from the past conversation you can gather, he's fed up with being a Q. He wants to die. Um, Voyager accidentally pulls him out of his prison that he's been put in because he wants to commit suicide. Um, Q are immortal. It's part of their identity as being Q. And if that were to change, uh, it would cause a huge disruption in the continuum. Right. Uh, so the Q don't want to let him die. They, they would rather just lock him up and not let him die. Um, so he goes, he accidentally gets pulled out of his cell uh, by Voyager and does a little, tries to commit suicide, accidentally makes all the men disappear. Not important. <laughs> uh, Q1 shows up. Uh, the the Q from TNG shows up and is like, what did you do, Q? Uh, makes all the men show up again so that, you know, half of the Voyager crew isn't just missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Quinn actually requests asylum from Janeway. And then there's this whole hearing about whether or not he deserves asylum. And that's the framing for the episode. Right. Um, I forgot where I was going with that, but I'm sure it was important. <laughs> no. Well, I, I mean, I think I appreciate doing that. Cause, um, but it, it brings up to me a number. It, it reminds me that I think that there's a number of different issues going on here because, you know, I, I, I've said many times that I, what I love most about science fiction is when it presents us an ethical question in a world that is completely different and completely foreign to our own, but that also relates a lot to an ethical question that is very much in our world. And certainly when Voyager came out was right when, um, I think it was uh, not long after Dr. Jack Kevorkian had been writing a lot about euthanasia, and certainly the the topic of euthanasia was a very popular one uh, and, and one that was being debated highly. And it is framed in the queue and raises a lot of issues about the queue. But at the end of the day, this is also a euthanasia episode. Um, and, and so I just loved that because it was such a great way of sort of modeling the, um, you know, both the, the greater story about, you know, incredible power that we might not relate to, but also a human story that's incredibly relatable. Uh, well, it sounds like um, Janeway has a good speech to end the hearing. And I wish I had the text of it so I could read it out for you. Uh, maybe I'll find it and put it in the show notes. I'll look for uh, it while you talk. Uh, but it, it's basically, um, I can't imagine, like literally cannot fathom your reasons for wanting to commit suicide. And I can't condone suicide. But I know that you're not insane. I know that it's your life to live and 
not live as you choose. Uh, I think that was the gist of it. I, I hope you found it and can do it I, better justice. I actually, I think you captured some great ideas and I, I want to comment on it, but yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it now because it's, it's really good on this. Um, Janeway, I've tried to find some way to reconcile all the conflicting emotions I felt during the hearing. My own aversion to suicide, my compassion for your situation. It hasn't been easy. I've tried to tell myself that this is not about suicide, but about granting asylum. Because in in the key part is, uh, I'm interrupting here, he's not asking for permission to commit suicide. He's asking for asylum. But if he's given asylum, he will be able to commit, to commit suicide. So that's the kind of difficult question there. Um, uh, so she says, it's not about suicide, but about granting asylum. That I'm not personally being asked to perform euthanasia. And as technically true as that may be, I cannot escape the moral implications of my choice. I also had to consider that a decision to grant asylum and the subsequent suicide of a Q might have a significant impact on the continuum. That such a decision could change the nature of an entire society, whether it be a favorable or unfavorable change, disturbs me greatly. But then there are the rights of the individual in this matter. I don't believe that you are mentally unbalanced, and I do believe that you are suffering intolerably. Under these conditions, I find it impossible to support immortality forced on an individual by the state. The unforeseen disruption that may occur in the continuum is not enough, in my opinion, to justify any additional suffering by this individual. So I hereby grant you asylum. Yes. Uh, It is a great speech. It's it's top. Well, I guess there's a lot of great uh, speeches in Star Trek, mostly from (laughs) Picard. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's it's definitely my top something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because well, what I like is that it it frames the multiple ethical issues that are happening here, and it's um, you know, obviously this podcast is all about ethics, and one thing that I I like to get into, and I'll say by the way that the TV show The Good Place did such a good job of demonstrating this is that the problem with kind of like trolley problem kind of ethical approaches is you want to sort of say let's just look at one ethical question in a vacuum. But you never can. Janeway is wrestling with five different things. And I, I really appreciate the kind of moral reasoning she goes through of saying, like, here's all the considerations, here's all the things, but at the end of the day, this is the core question and the one that I think I have to base my decision on. And I, I, I love it because in the end, there's a lot this episode gets into about the ethics of the Q, for sure, and we'll go to that. But that one speech has nothing to do with the power of the Q. It's just about, you know what are the overall moral reasonings that she would use that then she has to say, if I would apply this to a human situation or a Vulcan situation, I have to apply it to the Q in the same way. Um, <clears throat> and it does end up disrupting the Q society and there is a Q civil war and mm-hmm. they end up arming the Voyager with Q weapons and yeah, it, it, it gets, it gets messy and complicated. Yeah. But I, th- my, my, my memory though, is that, Janeway has, you know, regrets about the implications of her decision, but she never thinks she, I, I don't think she ever says like, I made the wrong decision. Um, and um I, I think she's right about that. I think I, as she said, like she didn't know the implications and that, and, and to some extent, even the, the fact that it becomes civil war is obviously horrible, but you know, so much of what, what this was, was that, there were huge problems in the Q continuum and, and the civil war is about people realizing that Quinn and, and John Delore, John Lancy Q have some really important points and that they're trying to shake things up and that that shakeup leads to a lot of problems. Um, um, 
Janeway's speech actually continues a little bit. And she oh, says something along the lines of, I don't have the text in front of me, but she says something along the lines of, however, now that I have granted you asylum and you will be turned into a human, uh, this is a new experience for you, one that you have not yet had. And I hope you take this opportunity to have that experience and be human. Yeah. Um, rather than committing suicide right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which the character winds up listening to, but deciding to go ahead and 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 uh, not commit suicide. Commit suicide. He, um, he does. He does commit suicide, and he does it with Hemlock, which is quite poetic. Oh, and in a beautiful turn, it's Hemlock provided by Q, um, who, at, who at the end says that like that Quinn inspired him, and and that I think that that in some ways leads to, uh. Because part of what he says is that he remembers, you know, when he was the irrepressible Q before the Q, the continuum disciplined him. Um, so, so knowing that and knowing knowing the results that happened, do you think Janeway made the wrong decision? I, in in hindsight, yeah. N- no, I don't think so. Mm. How come? Um, I think that uh, for for several reasons, I think that. Uh, Quinn did have the right to not be immortal. Yeah. Um, Tolkien actually addresses this in the Silmarillion too. Mm. Uh, the the god Iluvatar made humans and elves, um, and he made them different. And humans were mortal as a gift to humans. Uh, mortality was actually a gift. Mm. Um. No, it, it's a gift that they ended up trying to avoid at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but the ability to grow old and die uh, was, was a gift from God to the the man. Yeah. Now, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it, especially because the flip side, um, a lot of the best vampire mythology um, uh, being a, the, the geek that I am of the nineties, for me, the, the main way I got this was the role-playing game Vampire the Masquerade, but certainly a lot of vampire novels and movies and the like also hold this idea. I, I think actually it's even part of uh, the original Dracula by Bram Stoker that the immortality that's given to vampires is a curse. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of that flip side of like mortality is a gift, immortality is a curse, but it's for all these same reasons that like living forever and seeing everyone else you know you you know die and, and having no having no consequences, having no end to things is, is kind of horrible. Um, I, I, I think I'm with you on, on Janeway, both because of, of Quinn, but also because like the civil war. And I, I will say, I have not seen those episodes in many years. So I may be misremembering, but if I remember it, it, it leads to conflict, but, but to some extent that conflict is necessary. Uh, and that, that also tells us a lot about the, the Q collective. Um, one thing I'm, I'm reminded of, um, or at least I think I didn't really put it into these words until what you said, but one of the things I think is most interesting in that, um, uh, that episode death wish is that, you know, the, the continuum is saying like, we are very afraid of Quinn dying because we have no idea what it will do to the collective. And when Quinn pushes them on that somewhat, he kind of makes the point of, it's not that they know that this is going to be a bad thing. It's that they are so rigid and so locked in place because of all the things of immorality that they're utterly terrified of change and they're utterly terrified of the unknown. 
Um, and I thought that was a really interesting thing of like, you know, that the more you think you know, the more power and understanding you think you have, that the more that like, if there's only a little bit of uncertainty, that little bit of uncertainty would terrify you. I thought that was a, a really kind of insightful comment on, on something that relates a lot to our own world. Well, and it's very much like uh, our own experiences as people is the way things were is always better. Yeah. And if you've lived through all of time, the way things were is I lived through all of time. Right. I've seen everything the way it's supposed to be. I know everything. And if you change something now, I have no idea what's going to happen. And, that, and that's really scary. Yeah. Um, so there's been a great conversation. I'm sure there's a lot more we can go into. Um, but I want to start moving towards wrapping up, which is as listeners of the show know means we're not wrapping up quite yet, but just kind of say like, yeah, we got like another two hours. It's good. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> um, what are, um, what are kind of maybe one or, is there any one, one or uh, two more points that we didn't get to that you wanted to touch on? No, I think I, I hit everything and, and threw my own head cannons at you. And awesome. I think I'm, I'm all good. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Steve. Um, really appreciate being on, uh, as a guest, uh, especially with, um, my, my regular co-host having stepped down and, um, uh, at least a lot of us being spending a lot more time inside, um, uh, both myself, I have a lot more time to record more episodes, but also you, the listeners, um, whether you are also social distancing and stuck at home or whether you're doing one of those essential jobs that we are all so thankful for, we want to get you guys a lot more comments. So uh, get you folks a lot more content. So, uh, um, I'm trying to push these out a lot faster schedule and Steve really appreciate you stepping up and being a part of it. Um, for, yeah, not a for folks who want to know more about you or uh, your writings or stuff, um, are there places they can find you online? Yeah. Uh, well, I will send you my Twitter profile. I haven't posted since like 2014 or okay. so. <laughs> uh, well, people should at you with your uh, uh, their, their feelings about what you had to say today and uh, get you back on there. Yeah, sure. Sure. At me, but not angrily. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and of course, um, more than anything um, – I started this podcast because I love these conversations and I love getting to talk to it with people like Steve and other guests. Uh, but to our fans, nothing makes me happier than when you all comment and give us feedback and give us thoughts. Um, you can find us a number of ways. Uh, you can reach us at on Twitter, on Facebook or on um, Gmail, all at superhero ethics and all those links will be in the show notes. And also I am part, this, this podcast is part of a larger podcast network, the stranded Panda uh, podcast network. Which basically, if you enjoy things like this, I think you'll love most of those podcasts. They're all about diving deep onto particular media content. Um, as I mentioned on on one of them, uh, Bingers Assemble, which is all about kind of binge-watching things. Uh, we're doing a deep dive on Altered Carbon. Um, I also do a podcast on the Star Wars Universe podcast, specific the Star Wars Universe, and um, on the Orville Universe. Uh, both of them are, are findable by those names and are in the show notes. Um at a particular note, uh, uh, two great friends of ours uh, who are very prolific on the podcast network, uh, uh, Matt Carroll and Dave Robinson, um, they have a Star Trek Universe podcast specifically, which does great deep dives on Star Trek. They've done uh, episodes on every episode of Picard, as well as a lot of things about older episodes and movies. And if you're a Star Trek fan, definitely recommend checking that out, as well as a lot of the other great content on there. Um, so, everyone, um, I hope you are having a good time. Uh, listening to this stuff, <clears throat> please let us know what you think. Love to hear from you. Love to get your support on Patreon or perhaps on, um, just give us a five-star review or, or any star review. Let us know what you think. Any way you want to support the show, 
uh, as we try to bring in more content is greatly appreciated. So thank you all. I hope you're staying safe. Wash your hands and have a great day. Hello, everyone. This is Jacob Malicic. I am here recording something special uh, because Matthew wanted me to record something to tell all of you, uh, Superhero Ethics listeners, what's going on with me and uh, why I stepped away from the podcast. So uh, I don't have a script to follow here, so hopefully I won't ramble on for too long, though as many of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while know, I do like to talk, so trying to keep this brief. Um, What happened is that I got an invitation to join a project I had wanted to be part of for a while, Uh, and that project is called JudgeCast. So JudgeCast is a podcast for Magic the Gathering judges and people who are engaged in Magic the Gathering, uh, where they talk about things that are relevant to to being a tournament official for the game of Magic the Gathering, uh, where it be talking about stuff about uh, different rules, changes to how we handle different situations in competitive tournaments, uh, how, how we run tournaments, uh, how we deal with what we like to call um, the soft skills, which are really just interaction with other people and best ways to handle that. It's a very valuable uh, tool for people who are engaged in Magic the Gathering judging and something that... Uh, Something that I've always wanted was the ability to have some of my ideas about where we can improve, um, and also some of the, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word agenda, but you know, I, I have uh, things that I would like to see put out into our culture more, uh, and so being part of that podcast allows me to really try to be um, I don't want to say heroic because that sounds dramatic, but uh, it's part of that whole being super idea where I'm, I want to put myself into a position where I can uh, reach out and have some of my ideas uh, reach other people that I might not have been able to reach and affect how they think about approaching uh, the situations they get into in, in more positive ways. Uh, so, especially now during this time where we are dealing with, uh, it's a very unique situation uh, in in our world. It's very difficult to stay connected and to feel like we are staying connected. And a project like JudgeCast, what it does is it lets all of those people who, you know, Magic Judges have really formed this this community with each other. Um, a lot of them see each other multiple weekends in a month, um, every month. And so this sort of forced isolation that, that uh, many of us are now a part of, it can be very difficult to feel still connected to that community and to keep that going long term. And so that's another thing that uh, now more than ever, it is, it is valuable for things like podcasts in general, but uh, that one in specific, uh, to be, you know, to to be around, to be recorded, to be available to people, to to help with that feeling of connectedness, to help uh, get that across. And so I needed to wait, make sure that uh, it was still going to go forward, make sure that uh, you know, I was going to be taken on, there wasn't any snags, and uh, the first episode with me announced as official is now up, uh, where we talk about our culture around making mistakes and how we deal with it and uh, repercussions therein. I think it's a fascinating discussion, so if you're a magic judge, 
if you're part of the Magic Gathering card game community, I encourage you to reach out and listen to Judge Cast if you enjoy hearing my thoughts. Uh, I'm very much the same person. Um, <laughs> possibly I go a little even more off the rails there since the uh, subject matter is not always as heady as on superhero ethics, but uh, we have fun, and I think there's there's a lot of value to be provided there. And the reason why I have a, I needed to stop doing superhero ethics is my my free time, that is to say the time that I can devote to projects such as this, has a functional limit that I need to keep on it in order to make sure that I pay attention to other things that are important in my life. Uh, and if I do not honor that, I will absolutely sign up for literally everything. And I've done this before. I have this this habit where um, I'm I'm excited about something, I enjoy doing something, and so I throw myself into it. And I do that for multiple things, and they build up and it builds up and it builds up, and then suddenly I don't have time to devote to... Uh, that people who are close to me because I'm spending all of my time doing these other things, maintaining these these other plates that I'm spinning. And uh, I've been in the situation a couple of times, and each time I've had to cut things off, uh, sort of cold turkey go, nope, shut everything down. And I sort have I sort of realized at one point that if I could manage how much time I was devoting to those kinds of things and, and you know, put a number on it and say, okay, only this much, only only that long. Uh, and if I could do that and hold myself to it, then I can still engage in those ways with the things that I that I want to, things that I'm invested in. But I do have to, to have that limit or the kind of person that I am, I just keep piling things on my plate until I'll, it's no longer manageable or tenable. Uh, so... I proactively manage ahead of time, and that's why me saying, well, I'm going to take on another approximately two hour in total every other week recording gig uh, means that something that took up exactly that same slot has to go, and that is, un unfortunately for uh, people who appreciated hearing me every week, every other week on uh, Superhero Ethics, that's Superhero Ethics. Uh, Matthew and I are still in talks about uh, doing uh, doing a couple of things down the road with me on as as a returning guest, and certainly uh, should it come to pass that I no longer wish to be on Judge Cast or Judge Cast no longer wishes me to be on, um, you know at that point that time would be freed up again, and the, it is a possibility. I don't want to I don't want to promise anything, but it's a possibility that uh, in that future I would come back as as a regular host to superhero ethics but uh right now i just don't know uh, so that's where i'm at that's the update and uh, i hope all of you are keeping safe uh keeping healthy doing what you can uh during this time to stay connected uh i'd encourage everybody actually to engage in the methods that we have available to us in this interconnected era to help stay engaged with with people uh, something I've personally been struggling with throughout this is, you know, I don't have the the kind of face-to-face -face connections that I used to, and I'm a very extroverted person. I'm very, I'd like to be very social, and so this this whole 
things surrounding uh, COVID-19 and the world response to it has been incredibly stifling for me. Uh, so it's been very difficult for me to really appreciate uh, the, the this situation and really find out how I can manage myself, how I can make myself still stay positive throughout this period of isolation. Um, uh, thankfully, I, I am married and I do have somebody that I can interact with, so I at least have, have one person daily that I get to interact with. But, um, you know, I, I miss my friends. I miss the people that I get to see on a, well, got to see, I guess I should say, on a regular basis and the activities that we had. Um, it's even to the point where I'm missing some of the, my coworkers uh, more than I normally would just because, again, they're, they're human beings that I was used to having face-to-face -face interactions with. And one of the things that I've discovered that works really well is, you know, scheduling times for get-togethers like you would do normally, social get-togethers, but doing it online, making sure you can hear people uh, at a minimum and um, through, you know, whether it be Discord, Skype, Google Hangouts, anything like that, Zoom meetings, anything like that uh, can help you stay connected, help you feel, feel that you're staying connected. Um, and then video, if you can, uh, helps a lot because we as human beings respond to faces uh, differently than we respond to just staring at a blank screen. Um, so anyway, I think uh, I have possibly met expectations for how long I have talked. Uh, sorry if this is a bit quiet. Uh, my wife is actually, uh, so, so Larissa is her, is her name. Larissa is currently taking a remote belly dance class she's uh got weekly dance classes she's been a part of and her studio has uh started doing these remote sessions during this time so kind of thing i'm talking about anything you can do to, to try to stay connected to help manage yourself and uh, manage your needs your social needs as a human being a plus so i have my uh gain down as a consequence of that so that uh hopefully very little to none of that actually comes through and the audio remains mostly clean. Uh, that's it. I hope you all are doing well in this time and uh, hopefully you'll hear from me again not too long from now.